You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Matt, founder of Prism.fm. Super happy to have you on. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. Let's start with the most important thing. What does Prism solve for its users? Well, our users are uh, people in the talent buying and concert ecosystem. Um, so anyone who professionally organizes concerts could uh, theoretically be a customer of Prism, and it and it it helps us. It helps them stay organized, generate contracts, keep track of their financials, run financial reports, um, and then you know plan every kind of every single detail of an event and there's a lot of tedious details of that yeah and so it's basically like an all-in-one like a bundled solution for them or does it like solve quote-unquote just a couple use cases uh it's all in one solution yeah got it i would love to dig deeper on that because the like the the compound startup as some some people call it is just a super intriguing thing for me Because I think everybody's overwhelmed. They're just like having dozens of tools. Before starting that company, what was the insight that pushed you towards doing that? Because it's quite the opposite of like the regular startup advice of like go one after one specific thing. And you were a tech stars before. So yeah. you're, you were the newbie to startups even before get, getting going. So take me through that. Yeah, well, I um, I have... I guess in college, I taught myself how to code, and then I I uh, I started launching companies. And um, the most the most success that I had was in the live music space. I had launched a, a company in the live music industry, and probably a story for another time. Um, but I I just started getting asked to do projects in the live music industry. And I, I built a festival system uh, to help people plan festivals. And then I actually started my own festival uh, as a way to kind of like use the own technology. And I was just young and scrappy and like, oh, well, let me just let me just start a music festival out of nowhere. Um, so when I started the festival, I, I, I like I accidentally started like a concert promotion business. Uh, by doing that, a lot, a lot of people just started asking me to book their venue and, and Austin has a thriving live music ecosystem. So I found myself booking a lot of venues in and around Austin. So I, I got the experience of actually being a business operator and uh, doing the work that I would eventually solve for. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I, I think the light bulb went off is when I saw that other promoters and venue owners and festival organizers were all using the same spreadsheet system to to manage their business. And I knew that I could create a software system to kind of make it, make that better. Um, and yeah, you're right. It, it, like it was a year build out before we launched and that's not typically prescribed. It's like, oh, you know, rapid iteration, launch something in two months from now. But I think it's really made us extremely defensible. Like, um, like it was risky to spend a whole year in development on something, but um, like Prism is just way more robust than anything else that's out there. And that's been in our DNA and our foundation and everyone else that has tried to do what, what Prism does is like trying to catch up to the, the vastness of what we've created. Um, but you know, the, the vastness is also challenging. Like there's, you know, we're covering like a very wide, um, customer use case and 
Um, but it's it's I, I, yeah, I guess that's a double edged sword. It's it's a it's hard to support, but it's also hard to compete with since we have found a way to do it really well. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Yeah. And then, by the way, the uh, side note for later, we, we might have time to go down the road of how the heck you started creating a festival. But that's, yeah. that's maybe for later in the pot if we have the time. Yeah. If I can believe Crunchbase, then you raised like close to 18 million in total. Did you do that because the scope was so huge? Or like take me through like your fundraising journey? Because I think like you started in 2017. So I think you, you saw a lot of things from like things being frothy to like like COVID, which I guess was like very weird for you in your industry. And yeah. then to now the tech sector being like in a, not depression, but like in a downturn. So like take us through the whole journey from like the fundraising perspective. Yeah, we raised 15 million to date. So I think uh, Crunchbase is a little bit off. Um, yeah. Yeah, I raised a couple rounds of funding to get off of the ground. And then we raised 2.2 million um, when when things really started working. And this was like 2018 when we raised 2.2 million. So it was like $2 million to get off the ground, 2.2 million when we actually uh, started, things actually started working. And then right before, or sorry, then the pen, then we raised uh, 2.9 million right before the pandemic. And that was, that was a bridge round that really just got out of control. Um, like a lot of people jumped on it and really liked the business. So I was like, okay, that's exciting. So at that point, we had raised about $5 million and the, the pandemic hit. And the pandemic time was weird because, I mean, you have to, like, this This should be a, like a Harvard case business case study on, like, what to do when, you're, when the government mandates all of your customers to, like, shut down overnight. Although I'm not really stoked about Harvard these days. So I have to figure out uh, a, a different uh, word for, uh, I don't know, maybe like a Stanford business case study is better. So, but it, yeah, point being is like, holy shit, you know, all of our customers got, uh, got forced to shut down. And it's like, what the hell do you do with that? And, you know, the, our customers proved to be extremely resilient. They just did what they needed to do to survive. And we actually didn't even churn. We didn't churn a lot of them. Uh, like they kept with Prism. We saw that Prism was one of the last things that they, they ditched uh, before they um, be, before they went out of business. So that was a really interesting stress test. And on one side, Prism was highly, you know, um, challenged by the pandemic. But on the other side, like we had a lot of positive indicators that were showing that like this was a strong, durable business. And if we can, like we had just kind of pitched investors, like if we can make it through this, we can make it through anything. And there's a live music industry on the other side of this, you know, curve. So I, I would say, you know, so we did, we raised about $5.5 million in 2021. And that was when all the mega rounds were going down. Um, and like, I think our business was, uh, was, was like, you know, affected enough by the pandemic that it, it wasn't likely for us to pull off like a 30 or a hundred million dollar round of funding or $150 million round of funding. 
which frankly ended up being a silver lining. Um, but like, I think if it wasn't for a frothy market, like we might not, we might've just been able to pull like a bridge or like raising that or like, you know, might've had to like really just start cutting aggressively. So the froth frothy market in 2021, like did allow us to raise, you know, a meaningful round of funding. And then, uh, and then we did really well outside of the pandemic and we kind of did everything that we said we would do. The business really took off after the pandemic. Um, and a lot of our customers who we stuck with uh, during the pandemic were like, yeah, we love you. We appreciate you. And we're going to double down with you now. And, uh, you know, that all of that traction allowed us to raise, we just closed $5 million. Um, and all of that traction allowed us to close $5 million um, on this round of funding, uh, you know, during a really hard time to raise. And I think that's because we're, you know, uh, you know, practically default alive, though we're not like optimizing for profitability. Like we're solving a real customer use case. Like we're not solve we're not servicing tech companies right now. We're servicing like real world operators. Um, not that tech companies aren't real world operators, but you know, you have a lot of like the snake eating the snake in in the tech industry right now. Um, like a lot of these, a lot of the companies that are hurting right now are were folks that were servicing tech companies, and it's like a double. You know, not only is the tech sector hurting and and money's not going into the tech sector, like they're not, you know, buying as many licensees on their software systems because they're like cutting back. But for us, our customers are just doing better than ever right now. Honestly, um, like inflation has hit them a little bit for sure, um, but you know, compared to tech companies, my my industry is doing just fine. So um, it was a tightrope walk to fundraise through COVID and then to fundraise in the worst tech recession since 2008, maybe, maybe even worse since 2008. Um, but Hey, I'm very grateful to be here. Yeah. I mean, I think we both have quite more career ahead of us compared to like behind us. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a good thing to, to live through. Take me through how the company structured right now. I always, I'm not sure why I'm like a nerd for org charts. So like, how big is the team? What's the split? Uh, tell me everything. Yeah, we have a set, we're like very much heavy on product and engineering. We have 17 on product engineering, six on go to market and three on customer success. Um, we're, we're investing a lot in go to market now. Like we're not, we're, we're kind of progressively making some hires in product engineering, but very much it's like, all right, like we really want to test like a robust go to market team and see if we can really like, you know, double, triple, quadruple our, our current market share. Is there a, like a split you want to end up with? Like a lot of people I talk to end up with like a 50-50 split of like product engineering being of course like the one half and then marketing, either marketing heavy or sales heavy and like a third is usually CS. So yeah. do you have like a split in mind? Because in, in a way, I mean, you have, you got like 5 million of fresh funding. So you're forced to really think like a capital allocator at that way, at yeah. that point. So how how do you do that? Because in a way, it's not only the operator head, but also like the capital allocator head. So take me through that. Yeah, I I mean I am a product person, um, and I really love building product like companies. And you know I, I'm always curious about if I were to run the experiment of like investing in nothing but the product and technology, and just letting and then and then just letting like sales happen you know having enough sales and customer support infrastructure just to you know kind of like 
handle inbounds. Like I like I, I'm curious about what that play of reality would be. Um, but like with that being said, you know, I, I think I've started to look at go to market strategy as a part of the engineering team. And, you know, with without getting ourselves out there aggressively and getting people to use the system, like we're like what really guides what we should build. And I think yeah, I, I believe in some sort of a middle ground between like being extremely product engineering led, but also like getting yourselves out there and and knowing that like having very good customers and very good customer success is a part of a great engineering org. Um, so in the end, I want to be slightly, you know, it, like the majority of our company, I think, should be directly working on the product en engineering team and and then have a close relationship to a, like a well-balanced sales and CS org. So maybe between sales, marketing, and CS, it'll be like 40, anywhere from 40 to 50% of the total org. Um, and then engineering and product is, you know, 60 to 65% of the total org, or I guess that math doesn't add up, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just said that in your mind, engineering and product is basically part of the GTM strategy. Are you talking about like the, the typical quote unquote PLG thing or like, how, how do you, how do you look at that? I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with the acronym PLG. Ah, sorry, uh, product-led growth, meaning like, are you, is, is that basically where you just say, hey, I, we do the self-serve thing or like, how do, you, how do you use engineering to actually like drive new revenue? Yeah, um, yeah, some of it is typically product-led growth and just having the best product and having a reputation amongst our customers that we actually solve things and it's extremely important. Um, and like that product development is extremely important to us, but then... We also do have things built into the system that like there, there's network effects inherently built into Prism. Like, you know, if, if, if a talent agency is using Prism, the people who represent the bands and the venue is using Prism, there is an enhanced benefit that they, that they receive. And that leads to inbound leads. Like, you know, agencies are saying, Hey, like you're sending me these funky spreadsheets. Like it's so much easier to work. It'd be so much easier to work with you if you were using Prism, like here's their contact. You should get in touch with them. Um, so productizing that experience where we're actually, where the product is actually generating business for us is really, um, you know, important as well. Such a, such a strong loop there. Yeah. Let's completely switch gears away from like the product and like the, the day to day more to like your journey as a founder. What did you learn from starting a festival that works out well in terms of like your day-to-day -day in running a running a typical tech tech company i'm super super curious if they're like some overlap of like skills or learnings on that yeah thank you um good question i, I think just actually operating the business just allowed me to speak the language and and you know i i think it was genuine that i i can go to cost it's genuine that i can go to customers and say like i built this because i first had and experienced the pain um and i don't think everyone needs to do that but it in this industry, there's a lot of like kind of distrust of outsiders. And uh, for the little bit of experience that I had actually doing it myself, like I was not viewed as an outsider. So one of it is perception and the other one of it is reality. Like I think it, you know, Prism was a very hard problem to solve. Uh, it still is in terms of like really discerning what we need to build, how we need to build it, like what's absolutely crucial and what's not. Uh, like right before this, I just got off a call with a customer where, you know, they were listing things that we don't quite do yet inside of Prism that they want us to do. And, and my ability to say, you know what, like, 
Like in tech, there's a lot of people who say, hey, okay, I, I understand you do it this way, but you should really do it this way. And sometimes there's merit to that, but then other times I think that can alienate us from you know the actual users of our system. And I think that operating myself as giving the discernment to say, all right, you know what? Like I understand that they want to PDF this Excel spreadsheet. They, they want Prism to spit out a PDF in, instead of a CSV and it actually matters for, for a number of reasons. Um, so I think it's just helped me empathize with my customers much more and and it's given me uh, uh, an edge when I'm actually solving, you know, the tough product problems. That's amazing. I, I like the whole, I, I know the pain in terms of like having, having, uh, so like having the pain in the prior job. I heard that a ton in the past, but the thing about basically being an insider, I never heard someone like tell it like that, but it, it makes a ton of sense because it basically builds immediate trust there. Yep. Awesome. And then, I mean, it's a, a fun story with the festival, how you got there, and then like the the crazy part of the pandemic and the the downturn now. But I mean, it's not always like sunshine and roses. So, like, is there any war story you can share? Like, just like a rough patch you went through where you really like got pushed. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic as a whole was really like I think, and there's a lot of war stories, but. You know, when, when the pandemic first started coming out and I started hearing the word social distancing, it was like, it was so bad for my industry that it was almost funny. And I say that like in all due respect, because people really got tortured by this thing. But like, I'm like, this is the worst kryptonite ever for the live music industry, like social distancing. Like you can't invent a word that's more kryptonite for a concert, right? Like uh, the... Yeah, social distance is the exact opposite of what you want for a concert industry. And it's it's already an industry that's just filled with mom and pop shops and people riding out thin margins. So, you know, it's so funny because we're so far out of the pandemic now that and and, and we're just we have to just keep moving and you know, and um and I wanna like rest our laurels of surviving the pandemic, but it really was just like this insane, insane moment of like I, I mean, I was talking to my co-founders about like, all right, like do we still believe in this thing if the whole industry goes to absolute zero? And like, like we didn't know if we were going to be in the pandemic for five years, for one year, for three years. And it ended up being like something like two and a half before the music industry really meaningfully kicked back up. But there would have been like deeper and deeper layers of breaking point if this did go three years, four years, five years. And and it was this like ongoing bet of like, how many, am I going to keep doubling down on my bet that this thing's coming back or not? And you know, keeping my employees inspired, keeping myself inspired, um, staying close to the industry and like really just having like, that was a really, really weird time. Um, but we came out of it and raised a giant round, uh, a good round of funding, I'll call it. Not so, you know, giant from my perspective, 5 million, maybe not giant compared to the checks SoftBake was writing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm very proud of that. And it was a, it was a fun, triumphant time. Was there a specific thing that kept you inspired? I just thought that I, I just, once again, all due respect, I, I, I saw, I thought that there was an opportunity in surviving this thing and that we could come out stronger. Um, and I think my like faith in um, like God and spirituality really kind of played a role. Um, like logically, I could understand that if we survived, we would, um, we would thrive. And I guess 
you know, spiritually, I just trusted that there was a reason why I was here. And um, there was a reason why I started Prism. And I, I didn't, I didn't feel like this is the way it was going to go out. It was just something outside of our control was going to crash it down to zero. And at the end of the day, I wanted to continue doing Prism more than anything else. So I just kept doing it. I think those are amazing words to stop the pot. Matt, yeah. thanks a ton for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.